It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only, call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 931 3814567 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And welcome to the Virtual Bible Study. It is the Virtual Bible Study for June 3rd. 2010. Welcome to the program. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here tonight. Hello, Dad. Jacob, it's good to be with you. Again, a little bit hectic, trying to get started on time with some of the new technology, but we're here and we're ready to go. I think the technology is working perfectly tonight, or we have room for improvement, no doubt, but certainly we're glitch-free tonight, and we're glad for that. Appreciate Dan uh, for manning the controls tonight. Dan's been working overtime hours this week trying to get everything ironed out, so we appreciate Dan's efforts. And he has his apprentice, Jeffrey, here with us tonight as well, and uh, he's uh, learning the controls as well, so we're doing a lot better than we did last week, and we're glad for their help. We're glad that you're part of the program tonight as well on the other end of the line, and we hope that you'll make a, take a minute to be a part of the program by giving us a call at 877-381-4567 or by emailing questions at collegeview.com. We have an interesting topic planned for tonight, and uh, Dad, you titled it, Is There a Pattern? And uh, we'll want to talk about what is a, a religious buzzword these days, pattern theology. Can you break that uh, $5 phrase down for me? Well, I think that's what our program is going to be about. We're going to try to understand what that means, but I think initially we need to understand that the people who are using it are using it as a negative label. They're, they're, they're saying that we're doing something we shouldn't do when we pursue pattern theology. So that's, that's what we want to understand. We want to understand that accusation and try to find out if we are, in fact, in error for trying to find a specific pattern in the Scriptures that's supposed to be followed. So our topic tonight for discussion is pattern theology and uh to our update list earlier today, and we want to remind you that uh, you can get on our update list if you are not already by just sending us an email to questions at collegeview.com and put in the email subject line, add me to the list. We'll do that. And then every Thursday, about midday, we send out uh, an email message telling what our subject is going to be and asking a couple or three questions that you can respond to, and and we can start taking responses anytime thereafter, and we try to include those emails in our discussion on the program when we're live that night. And so uh, if you'd like to be on that update list, just send us an email, questions at collegeview.com, add me to the list. Now, to our update list today, we asked the question, which of these statements most clearly describes your view? Of course, we need you to explain why, but here's here's one view. Christianity, as it existed in the first century, from its very beginnings, was exactly what God intended for it to be. In other words, it was initially what God wanted. He didn't. He did. It's not an evolving process. It was right from the beginning. That's view one. Now, the alternate view, and we want to know which way you see this, but the alternate view is God never in- intended for Christianity to be static, with the exception of a few core beliefs. We're free to alter things as circumstances change with time. And those who make that argument obviously are suggesting the world is a lot different place here 2,000 years later. And therefore, we've got to be flexible. And God understood that. And therefore, he intended for us to be able to sort of change with the times and to be fluid and flexible uh, with how we serve him through Jesus Christ. So our first question, and we need to know what you think and why. Was Christianity initially perfect and right, needing no changes, or is Christianity such that it should be allowed to vary and change with circumstances and time? Those are the two positions. We want to know what you think and why. Now, second question, we'll certainly be discussing this in our program tonight. What warnings or admonitions in the New Testament would be applicable to the idea of a pattern to be followed. And and my guess is that a lot of the people who are listening tonight are going to say, yeah, I think there's a pattern. Okay, prove to us why. What verses suggest to you the idea that there is some pattern to follow? All right. 
Are we getting out, Jacob? We're getting out. We had a little glitch, but we're okay. back. And, right. uh, and so uh, we've, we're getting some comments in the chat room, and we appreciate those comments. If there are any uh, suggestions you have in the chat room, any comments about our feed tonight, let us know. The audio feed, uh, the audio-only feed should be unchanged. We should have no problem there. If you're having problems in the audio-only feed, uh, you won't be able to get in the chat room, obviously. Send us an email. Let us know those problems. And uh, if you are getting problems with our video feed from Ustream.tv, uh, let us know that as well. We're using a different uh, software program, and we're feeding the feed a little bit different tonight. Uh, so we this is the first go of it, and there may be a few problems. We're looking forward to hearing from you if you do see any problems or have any comments about our feed tonight. All right. So uh, to the Bible subject at hand, Jacob, That's pattern right. theology. Pattern theology. And, and again, a lot of people are the people who are using that phrase are trying to define us in a negative way. And we've got some quotes here to sort of illustrate what we mean. Dan, we've got some quotes up there, and I'm going to just take them in the order I gave them to you. The first one is from a fellow that many of you will recognize. He's had a good bit to say in recent years and has sort of been out at the cutting edge of some of this change that's taking place among churches of Christ. His name is Rubel Shelley. And here's what he had to say. He said, are we really looking for a pattern? We have taken Acts and tried to make it a prison. Acts was not meant to be a pattern. I reject pattern theology. The scripture is not a book of case law to be cited like a bunch of proof texts. The way to teach the Bible about, excuse me, the way to teach people about the Bible is not to quote a series of steps to salvation. I'm not looking for a pattern. I'm looking for a person. So uh, and he's got a capital P there, meaning Jesus, I assume. That's right. He's looking for Jesus. In other words, it's not about how you do it. It's about who you serve, just wants to, who, who you come to. He just come to wants Jesus. to find Jesus. That's yeah. all he's interested in. Yeah. Okay. Now, the next one, boy, Dan, I don't remember what order. Is the next one Dallas Burdett? Dallas Burdett. Uh, I found this quote from him. He, he had a long essay on this subject on the Internet, and I found this quote from him. He said, unless we succeed in finding and isolating the germ or virus which produces division, we will continue to fracture and fragmentalize ourselves. The germ that seems to be the culprit of division within churches of Christ is pattern theology. Uh So this guy says the reason we're divided, all the issues that we're experiencing, all the divisions and the troubles and the issues that confront us in the church, it's due to the fact of pattern theology. He went on to say the object of this article is to demonstrate the utter futility of the concept of pattern theology that is presently advocated within some churches of Christ. And so he thinks this is the root cause of all issues. And if we could get rid of this, basically, if he could convince people that this is a bad approach, he thinks he could solve all the divisive problems that are in the churches of Christ. Did the article demonstrate the utter futility of it? And I didn't think so, but okay. uh, anyway, uh, it's a long, a really long article. I've got it here. It's pages and pages long. And and I, I felt in reading it that he sort of constructed straw men and tore them down. Uh-huh. Right. Okay. Now, the next guy that I found a quote from in a magazine that some of you may have heard of called Wineskins, uh, his name is Jay Gwynn. No Ken, not spelled the same way, but I think his name is Jay Gwynn. He says, in the churches of Christ, we've traditionally taught that the New Testament establishes a pattern of name, worship, organization, and such that we must correctly replicate to be the true church. Thus, we become saved by believing, repenting, confessing, and being baptized, but stay saved by also being a member of a church that replicates the New Testament pattern of name, worship, organization, among other doctrines. But how is seeking salvation through pattern keeping, plainly a form of works, any different from seeking salvation through circumcision? That's his question. He's trying to mm-hmm. equate. He's trying to equate the two. In other words, he's trying to say that if we if we insisted on calling the church by a Bible name, worshiping the way the Bible describes, uh, having the kind of church organization that the New Testament specifies, and other doctrines, he, he says that would be the equivalent of trying to bind circumcision. Mm-hmm. Well. I mean, obviously, that's that's a an unfair parallel. It's not a true parallel. No. Uh, this, I think we'll see that the Bible teaches us we've got to do, we've got to worship and work and organize ourselves the way the Bible is. But 
it specifically condemns circumcision. I mean, I, I don't understand. I don't understand how you could make those parallels. Well, it's a, something with obvious bias. You know, everybody yeah, I, knows I that circumcision it's... is something that's not bound today, and uh, and so if we link it to circumcision, then everybody's oh no, we couldn't do that. It'd be the same as saying, but how is seeking salvation through pattern keeping any different from uh, murdering your mother than, than or, or uh, uh, child sacrifices? Right. Right. You know, but check, sacrificing burnt offering, right. making okay. your children burn offering. I mean, that's just intended for a for a bias reaction. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then he goes on to say, patterns. What could possibly be wrong with following a heavenly pattern? Everything. Flawed humans make copies from patterns and seek to earn salvation by replicating something that is perfect. It can't be done. Pattern theology is necessarily a worked works based theology. Well, first off, we have to reject that uh, that this that following a pattern is works-based salvation or earning salvation, marrying salvation is simply not. And he, assume, again, assumes something without proving it. What he's arguing, though, is that we're saying we earn our salvation by following the pattern. Nobody ever said that. Right. We, those of us who believe there is a pattern to be followed never said that in following the pattern, we would therefore earn our salvation in heaven. I don't know anybody. I mean, categorically, nobody. Whoever taught that we earn our salvation by doing what the Bible says. Okay. But that's what he's charging us with. All right. And then one more quote here is from Edward Fudge. And I thought the uh, the title was quite telling. The title of his article was The Plague of Patternism. And this might be a little bit a little bit more old, right? This isn't yeah. as recent. Yeah, probably so because uh, I think Edward Fudge was was on this theme about 30 years ago. Okay. He says, Patternism. Today, most mainstream churches of Christ have left this peculiarity behind, at least as a matter of emphasis. Notice uh-huh. he calls seeking a pattern a peculiarity. That's yeah, just right. sort of odd. You're, and, so, and, you're sort of odd if you do that. And most have decided it is odd, and they've given up on it. And the mainstream, the ones yeah. who really yeah. know what's going on, they've left that behind. Yeah, and you definitely want to be in the mainstream, right? And, and it, at least as a matter of emphasis. I mean, we may do it a little bit in the background, but it's not something that we're yeah. very interested in. He said, we had as well face it straight on. The pattern seekers, well-intentioned as they were, created something that the New Testament does not require, suggest, or even envision. It is no wonder that their scheme of commands, examples, and necessary inferences, and the underlying assumption that everything not authorized was automatically forbidden, has been a horrible disaster. Mm. Did you catch that? Mm. In other words, he attacks... The methodology that we use to establish Bible authority. We'll talk some about that in our study. But he's, he says we we have a scheme of commands, examples, and inferences, and that if things are not authorized, they are therefore forbidden, and that has just resulted in a disaster, Okay, uh, is what he's saying. He says patternism itself had been wrong from the beginning. It was foreign to the Bible, a distraction from the gospel, and a constant competitor with Jesus for top billing in sermons and debates. I would like to debate this fella on that last statement. I, I, I would love for him to sign a proposition in which he says following a pattern is foreign to the Bible and a distraction to the gospel. I, I, I would be glad to debate that proposition. I think I could prove, and I think we will prove in our study tonight, that a pattern of how we're to worship God is not foreign to the Bible. Okay, all right. Uh, he, yeah, he says, foreign to the Bible. That's a pretty bold statement. And we'll look at what the scriptures teach on that. There's what we're talking about tonight in quotes from those who oppose pattern theology, as they call it, or requiring that we follow the biblical pattern for all that we do. We want to hear from you on the program tonight. Do you believe that it is important that we follow the pattern laid forth in the scriptures in the way that we worship God, the way that we serve him. In fact, in all that we do, do you believe it's important that we follow the pattern given to us in the scriptures? Maybe you don't think it's important. Maybe you think that uh, we have the wrong emphasis and that we're emphasizing the wrong thing. If you disagree with us, we'd especially like to hear from you on the program tonight. We'll uh, be kind to you. We will be respectful. We'd just like to hear your thoughts. Give us a call, 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. We'll take a break and continue the discussion right after this. After these important messages, we'll be back to take your comments. Email them during this break. Hello, my name is Trent Haynes, and I'm a member of the College View Church of Christ. In a scanning of the book of Proverbs, it provides us several reasons to discipline our children. To show you don't hate them, he who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is careful to discipline him. Chapter 13, verse 24. 
to give them hope. Discipline your son, for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to his death. Chapter 19, verse 18. To help them for a lifetime, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old he will not turn from it. Chapter 22, verse 6. To chase away foolishness. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. Chapter 22, verse 15. To save his soul, do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish him with a rod, he will not die. Punish him with a rod and save his soul from death. Chapter 23, verse 13 through 14. For your own comfort, discipline your child, and he will give you peace. He will bring delight to your soul. Chapter 29, verse 17. Parents need to read and understand these passages. So too should our children. Computers are good for lots of things, but there's no better way you could be using yours than to participate in the virtual Bible study every Thursday night. Can you think of a better use of your time? Missed a recent virtual Bible study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the virtual Bible study. And welcome back to the virtual Bible study. Thank you for being a part of it tonight. We're looking forward to hearing your thoughts at 877-381-4567. Email questions at collegeview. Dot com joining with other listeners in the chat room tonight if you're watching us from Ustream.tv. We're talking about pattern theology on the program tonight. Is it important that we follow a pattern? Is uh, it important that we do things the way that the Scripture says to do them, the way that the, those that are recorded in the Scriptures did things? Is it important that we follow their example and their pattern, or can you just do anything that you want? And based upon the quotes that you've referenced so far tonight, Dad, I have the impression that the thinking of these men is, just do whatever you want. It really doesn't matter. In fact, uh, Edward Fudge says uh, that it is uh, a scheme that you have to, in fact, even follow the commands of the Bible. That if you follow the commands of the Bible, it result in a horrible disaster if you just follow the instructions that God has given you. Well, uh, and notice that the, his use of the expression scheme is, is the suggestion of that is that that's a, a human, human invention mm-hmm. that, that we can, and I've heard this I've, through the years I've heard the charge that we are the ones the church of Christ is the ones who invented the concept of command example necessary inference as to how we establish Bible authority I don't believe that's true and and I think we can demonstrate that uh, from the Bible yep. and we'll do that here and so we could we could substitute the word uh, commands we could substitute that with God's instructions the scheme of following God's instructions according to Edward Fudge results in a horrible disaster I well, wonder yeah, if he go, would go, stand yeah, by yeah, that or or go go a little bit further the the scheme of following God's commands and apostolic examples and inferring things of course, that's that's something that we use our logic to to make necessary inference. But he said, but yeah, just just go with uh, the scheme of following God's commands and and uh, imitating apostolic examples results in a horrible disaster. That's a pretty strong statement. Again, unbelievable. I, I, I'd be glad to debate on that. Okay. I think that would be an interesting. I think I think it'd be a, a, a an open and shut case because I think we're going to see here that the Bible does teach a pattern. Let's look at some of the emails that have come in, and we're still looking for your email. To get in on this topic, what do you think? Was Christianity from the beginning what God wanted it to be? Or is it something that just sort of fluid, it changes with time and mm-hmm. place? And God knew that it would, and that's what he intended for us to do, is sort of let it roll with the times. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got an email from Aaron in Texas who says, I'd say that my view is closest to the first, even Although even in the first century there were problems in churches, but however imperfectly Christianity was practiced, it was revealed. And that's what we meant, really. It was revealed in exactly the way God intended it for, for it to be. And I want to stop there to agree with Aaron. We, we acknowledge that the efforts to apply God's pattern have always suffered from the fact that fallible human beings are in the practice of it. In other words, and, and people make mistakes. And, and even in the Bible, as he points out, in first century churches, there were issues that they were dealing with. But Christianity was revealed exactly the way God intended for, be, for it to be. He goes on. John sixteen thirteen says that the apostles were to be given all truth in their lifetime. The apostles would receive all truth. Second Peter 1, verse 3 says that all things pertaining to life and godliness were available in the first century. Jude verse 3 says that the faith was once delivered. And so we understand that God intended for it to remain the same, else he would have to keep revealing it. Christianity was has never been subject to human social norms. It is built around the nature of God, the nature of man, and God's requirements. 
none of which are any different now compared to what they were 2,000 years ago. We might expect Christianity to evolve if it were originated in order to please men and serve them, but it was originated to please and serve a God who does not change. Excellent point. Galatians 1, verses 10 through mm-hmm. 11. He goes on. Patterns are found in passages like Romans six seventeen, where the teaching of the gospel is said to be a form, a mold, or a pattern that we must conform to, not the other way around. The same word for form or pattern is found in Philippians 3.17, you have us for a pattern. In 2 Thessalonians 3.9, we make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. Words that mean a rule or standard are found in Galatians 6.16, as many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them. 2 Timothy 1.13, hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me. Paul told Timothy to follow a pattern, Philippians 4.9, the things which you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, these do... These passages make it clear that pattern theology was a part of Christianity from the beginning. The New Testament warns us to learn from the example of the Old Testament about how God intends to be obeyed, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11. And if we can't learn something from Nadab and Abihu or Uzzah mm-hmm. or my favorite example of King Uzziah, who was struck with leprosy for attempting to worship God in some way other than how God said, then we aren't paying good attention. Mm. As always, Aaron's got some really good observations there. Appreciate that, Aaron. Thank you, Aaron. I believe Aaron is in the chat room tonight as Tiger Vol 27, if you want to comment. Is that who that is? I think so. Hey, hey, Aaron. Glad glad, glad to see you there. Um, uh, You got some other emails there, too, I think. Uh, You got one from Jim. You want to? I do. Jim Walsh uh, in uh, Mount Pleasant says uh, Christianity, as existed in the first century from its beginning, was exactly as God intended for it to be. He says uh, that's the one that he believes is this is the way I believe and teach. Um, and so uh, that's uh, his answer to your question. Yeah, and he made a point. If you took the other view, and the other view we suggested was that okay. with the exception of a few core beliefs, right. God understood that Christianity would be fluid and flexible and change with circumstance and time. Well, Jim asked, the, I think, what is the logical question who gets to decide what the core beliefs are? That's right. Uh, and what things can be altered with circumstances. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he says basically this would be the gospel according to situation ethics if we took this view. I mean, who gets to say, oh, that's a core belief. We've got to believe that. But this over here, now that's not a core belief. Exactly. I've, You know, you wonder who gets to decide that because these people say they're so enlightened and we just have to agree on these core beliefs. Where did they, did those come out of heaven and from a, in a golden parachute and land on their head? Or how do you, who gets to determine? Yeah, because, core belief? because I think even that statement is, is going to lead ultimately to division because if, because you and I potentially won't agree on what are the core beliefs. And if you don't agree with my determination of core beliefs, then we're going to have a fall down, you know, fall out over that. Uh, and so how does that solve anything? So I, I just think I, I agree with Jim. I think that is just really uh, uh, a huge mistake. All right. And uh, just uh, for your benefit, if you're listening to us tonight and live and viewing us from our video feed at Ustream.tv the moderation in the chat room has been turned off. So those who are in the chat room tonight who are not logged in with a username, you can chat. Uh, just send us your comments there. We look forward to hearing from you. We have a large number of listeners in the chat room who are Get in there and talk. Uh, not logged on. So uh, you're welcome to send in your comments now. The, the, we have uh, the ability to turn off the moderation now. Uh, so we look forward to your comments. Uh, Keith in uh, Hendersonville, Tennessee, sends in this comment. Uh, he says, I believe that there are a core set of beliefs that are set forth in that were set forth in the first century. Paul enumerates those such things in Ephesians 4 and 1 Corinthians 15. But these are not exhaustive list of all things having to do with the relationship called the church. I do believe that there are things within the pattern of the New Testament church where God has given us liberty. For example, as obvious in the scriptures, there was preaching to be done by men, but there's also teaching that is supposed to be done by women. The older women were to teach the younger women. As to how, when, etc. of either of these, the scriptures gives a no such pattern. I believe it is left to the expediency to determine the details of this. But it would be contrary to the given pattern for women to become preachers in the church. Another example that might be more controversial. Well, let's, uh, let me stop just there to comment about the younger women teaching, teaching the older women teaching the younger women, but not to become preachers in the church. Well, that's a pattern. 
That's he, a pattern. But the, the, the house, too, I mean, is, is, the, is the younger, older woman going to do it on a one-on-one? Is she going to do it? Is she going to get a group of women together and conduct some class? Well, those, I think are, expe- those are experiences, the, but they are within the, the realm of authorized things. In right. other words, what we're saying, when we, when, uh, what we're being ach- accused of on the question of pattern theology is that we're, we're insisting on authority. And we shouldn't be insisting so much on authority. But there is a pattern. Men are to, are to do the public teaching and preaching in the church. Women have a role, but it's limited, as Keith suggested. And so I think I, think I would argue that is a pattern. That, that is doing things by specified authority of the scriptures. And I think our pattern theology accusers, the people who disagree with us on this, I'm not sure, I don't think Keith and I disagree on this, but I think those who are accusing us of this pattern theology problem would say, well, there you go, Keith. You just said one of the things that we don't agree with. So I, I, I don't, I don't think that Keith's illustration there of the women teacher thing uh, illustrates the point they're accusing us of. I, Keith and I agree about how the women are to teach, and there are some ex- expedient judgments that can be used within that realm of authorized activity, but that's not what the pattern people are talking about. Okay. He says another example that might be more controversial in the New Testament, we find churches who are given to the support of the gospel and of each other. We have, of course, Paul's instructions to the church at Corinth regarding the collection of the saints in Judea that they were to lay aside funds on the Sunday so the money would be ready when Paul came. Brethren have gotten carried away with this and have said that it is approved discharge of this is an improved discharge of the command. However, earlier in the church, we find Christians selling what they had and bringing it and laying it at the apostles' feet. No specification is made of when, what day this was done, or that there was any specification that everyone had to do it. There was a liberty. Uh, we generally do this on Sunday since we come together that day to partake of the Lord's Supper and to worship. But if there was an emergency on Wednesday night, would it be incorrect for brethren to take up a collection for that purpose or would we have to wait until Sunday? In this case, I do not find anything uh, that anything is being uh, doctrinated about taking the collection on Sunday other than this specific example. There was a specific reason for them to lay this aside, uh, so there will be no collections when I come. He wanted to be ready when he got there. I do believe there are patterns to be followed. We are to sing, not play, pray through Jesus, not through Mary, preach the word, not the doctrines of men. Well, I think Keith and I agree primarily, but I, I would have to disagree with his with his uh, observation on the contribution. His, in other words, we know from 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 through 3, that a collection, a laying by in store, was done on the first day of the week. That's the total information we have on what day that was done, and therefore that's the day we do it on. We would have no authority to take up a collection on any other day. He mentions the Christians selling their property and laying it at the apostles' feet, but he admits no specification was made of what day. It could as easily been on the first day of the week as any other day. And so you can't you can't make any determination from Acts chapter five as to what day it was. The only information we have in the New Testament is that the laying by the store was done on the first day of the week. And therefore that's why we do it. We we have we have a specific example, and there is no contradictory or alternate example in the Scriptures. Therefore, that is a binding example, and that's what we do. So I, I would have to disagree with Keith's conclusion that, you know, some things that, that we've gone, he, he said, brethren, have gotten carried away. I don't think we've gotten carried away on that. I think we are following the Bible pattern. That's what we're talking about here. Is there authority? Does it tell us exactly what to do? And in the case of laying by in store, there is information there's authority and it tells us exactly what to do and it tells us what day to do it on we are not being we're not getting carried away when we say that's the day we'll do it on okay all right Uh, we're going to take a break get this week's bullet point and then when we get back we'll get into the discussion of the second half of our proposed discussion tonight what warnings and or admonitions in the new testament would be applicable to the idea of a pattern to be followed what are some instructions from the new testament that would tell us you need to follow a pattern Or are we to believe, as Edward Fudge says, that uh, the schemes of following God's commands or instructions, his examples, and the necessary inferences from the scriptures will lead us to a horrible disaster? What do you think about that? Let us know your thoughts. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Don't touch that mouse. The virtual Bible study will be back right after this. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. In rebuking the scribes and Pharisees, Jesus said, 
Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done, and not to leave the other undone. Ye blind guides, which strain at a gnat, and swallow a camel. Matthew 23, verses 23 and 24. Some have mistakenly taught that Jesus' problem with these religious hypocrites was their painstaking insistence upon keeping the minute aspects of their law. Jesus, it is claimed, was instructing them, and that for that matter us as well, not to worry about trying to keep the finer points of the law, but rather concentrate on the more substantial and meaningful matters of the heart. The problem, of course, with this interpretation is that it completely ignores what Jesus said. Should they have concerned themselves with something as simple as tithing their garden herbs? Yes. Jesus said, these ought ye to have done. But in doing this, he urged them not to neglect things that require even more effort to perfect. Things like judgment, mercy, and faith. The weightier matters of the law. We think there is a fitting application of the principle that Jesus here sets forth. Consider this. From time to time, we hear of a brother or sister who is quite upset about some issue. It is often one of those finer points of the law. For instance, the length of a woman's hair or how many children an elder must have or whether or not to offer the Lord's Supper on Sunday evening. They will gladly debate at length in favor of their particular understanding of the matter. We have no problem with this. All such things are important. But then this same person will neglect the assemblies fail to participate in the work of the church, exhibit moral impurity, etc. It seems that such folks need to attend to the weightier matters of the law. They should stop straining at a gnat while swallowing a camel. Do you see it? That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. This is Jared in Warwickshire, England. Listen to the chat from the virtual Bible study each Thursday night. Share your comment with the world. Call in now and be a part of the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to the program tonight. We're glad you're a part of it. This program is brought to you by the College U Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. If you're in the Columbia, Tennessee area, come and visit with us to find out more about the College U Church of Christ. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. for a period of Bible study with classes for all ages, followed by a period of worship at 10.30 on Sunday morning. And we have a worship period on Sunday evenings at 6 p.m. as well. And then on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m., we have Bible classes again for all ages. We look forward to you coming and being a part of our assemblies if you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area. If you're not in our area, you can still find out more about what we believe, what we practice, and what we stand for by visiting our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com or collegeview.com. We look forward to hearing from you. We're talking about pattern theology on the program tonight. Do we need to be following a pattern? Is uh, the Bible set forth as a pattern, as a, a book of instructions for us that we need to be following in our lives and in our work together. I say a good point in the uh, chat room. Uh, Aaron says the core belief. You know, we were just talking about who gets to who gets to determine what are core elements of the gospel and and the other things we can change. He says that core belief view is the same as the gospel versus doctrine doctrine distinction that right. some try to make. And that was that was a a, a pretty popular effort. Oh, maybe twenty five to thirty years ago, some were saying there is the gospel. And we all got to agree on the gospel, but then the doctrine is different, and we 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 don't we're not so bound by was it. Was that also references the man, not the plan, or is that probably, different? Probably, probably, different no, probably that's another expression that's been out there as well. Uh, he goes on to say the topic isn't explicitly explicitly about whether doctrine matters, but it's the same question. I think he's exactly right. Okay. Uh, we have uh, Kevin Kelly uh, who says that uh, how could one argue there is no pattern in the Bible? Seems like uh, that is the only logical conclusion if we reject patterns to follow. Uh, appreciate that as well. Uh, I got, got a follow-up from Aaron on oh, if I can get the uh, email to open here. Uh, he also referenced. Here we go. Here okay, go. Go he, he says the core beliefs view is the same as the gospel doctrine distinction that some try to make. So you didn't phrase tonight's topic in such a way as to address the equivalence of gospel and doctrine, but it's the same question. And there are plenty of passages like First Timothy four sixteen, Romans six seventeen, for example, that say doctrine is important. If we can establish that point, we have addressed the same question as the core beliefs point of view. And I think he's right. I think he's exactly right. He also references Hebrews chapter 8, verse 5 in the chat room. I hope it's uh, Aaron in the chat room. We're giving him the credit for uh, the comments linked. Aaron, to, is that you, yeah, well, uh, Tiger yeah. Ball? Um, uh, in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 5, Aaron references uh, a statement made about Moses. Uh, who served unto the example and shadow of heavenly things as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. Notice this from Hebrews 8, verse 5. For see, saith he, this is God talking, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed thee in the mount. 
God gave Moses a pattern, and he told Moses, make sure you do what I told you, make sure you follow the pattern. Aaron says, wow, so when Moses was told to make things according to the pattern that was a a copy of heavenly things in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 5, he just didn't realize how futile it was. Huh. What do you think about that? I think, of course, that is one of the key verses on this question of pattern. Uh, and I think uh, think Aaron's exactly right. Hebrews 8, verses 5 and 6, if it was important for Moses to, to when he was building the tabernacle, which was just a shadow of things to come, it was very important to build that shadow, just a, just a, a sort of a vague semblance of the fullness that would come through Christ. But when you're building that tabernacle, man, Do Moses, it. you make sure you make it just like I told you to make I it. Mean, Don't you it was change very anything. explicit about it. Oh, yeah. It. I mean, yeah. It, it, you almost get tired in reading that okay, sure. there in the book of Leviticus about all the different things yeah. that had to be so. And, yeah. and uh, in Exodus and Leviticus, when it was all spelled out how everything was to be just, I mean, uh, it's just overwhelming, the detail that was given. But that was just a shadow. But, man, you make that shadow just like I wanted it. I mean, it don't change a thing. But now... Now it's different. Hey, that's right. We do anything we want. We, we don't Who have cares? to follow that. Hey, yeah, yeah, that's right. That stuff in the Old Testament, that was, as Edward Fudge says, it resulted in a horrible disaster. Yeah. Uh, God's plan in the Old Testament was a horrible disaster. We need to get rid of it in the New what Testament. Did he, what did he say, too? Uh, he said that this whole uh, idea of following it, a pattern it, was it, foreign to the Bible. He said patternism itself has had been wrong from the beginning. And foreign to the Bible. It was foreign to the Bible and a distraction from the gospel. Yeah, yeah how about right. that? Okay. You know, I was thinking of another fellow who was expected to follow the pattern, and that was Noah when he was instructed oh, yeah? about how to build the ark. Yeah. Uh, I think that all these people who attack the idea of following a specific pattern and doing things just as they as God told us to do them, I think they'd probably agree with us when we say Moses needed to build that ark, just like God said to build the ark. He was not at liberty to change things. Now, if if we would agree that about Noah, and as we said a minute ago about Moses building the tabernacle, then by what justification would we conclude that it's different for us, that it's not important for us to follow that that same kind of thinking? Unbelievable. There's some other passages, and, and earlier when we read some some things from, from Aaron, he mentioned some of these verses, but let me just repeat some of them. 2 Timothy 1, verse 13, Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. The word form there, in fact, in other words, I'm reading King James Version here, but the word form in in 2 Timothy 1, verse 13, in other versions, is the word pattern. Mm -hmm. Hold fast the pattern of sound words. In 1 Timothy 1, verse 3, uh, Paul said, as I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Go to the idea of gospel doctrine. No, he said. Uh, no, know, don't worry about that doctrine stuff. That's just a distraction. Yeah. Uh, no, he said you can't teach any other doctrine. Okay. Tell them not to teach any other doctrine. The doctrine is singular. Okay. Uh, and then in Romans 6, verses 17 and 18, God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. Notice it mentions a form of doctrine. There's a form. And that's what seems to be so uh, distasteful to those that we quoted and, and, and the popular trend that, that there's some form that you've got to follow a, a, a specific methodology, that there's a pattern that has to be uh, replicated. That's what's so uh, disgusting, apparently, to some of these folks. But the scriptures are very plain on that. Uh, Jim in Mount Pleasant, Tennessee, when he wrote, he also referenced Hebrews 8, verse 5. That's the key verse. I mean, that's the verse that these folks are going to have to deal with. Mm-hmm. Hebrews 8, verse 5, See, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern shown thee in the mount. And Jim Jim shows how that that expression actually includes the idea of command, example, and necessary inference. He said, the command, see, saith he, that thou make, example, that thou make all things according to the pattern, necessary inference, whatever Moses was shown on the mount were the things God wanted made, and he wanted them made in a specific way, which is why he provided a pattern. So uh, Jim sees, and I think he makes a good point there in Hebrews 8, verse 5, even in that very statement, command, example, and necessary inference. Thank you, Jim. Thank you, Jim. 
Appreciate those comments uh, tonight. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeu.com. You know, I think one reason why uh, uh, demanding that we follow a pattern and demanding that we follow God's instructions, demanding that we follow the example of the New Testament Christians, demanding that we uh, make inferences from the Scriptures for our authority. One reason why I think that is so distasteful to many is because that is a divisive thing, Dad. How do you how do you address the argument that we shouldn't do this because it's going to be divisive? Well, I would go back to the idea that that... The, the closest thing to unity that ever existed since the church began was in the first century. I think Christians and those who call themselves Christians have, have, have gone in thousands of different directions since then. But in the very early church, and it's, it's an immediate infancy, in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says that they, the, the disciples, continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking bread and prayers Verse 32 says, the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul. So they were united. They were of one heart and one soul. How were they united? Were they united by saying, listen, don't anybody insist on any specific particulars. We all believe in Jesus and we just, we just need to do that. Is that, is that how they did it? No. We know that they were, their unity was based upon agreement and continuance in the apostles' doctrine. There's the basis for true unity. Uh, this was not a unity in diversity, which is a which is an oxymoron. This was true unity based upon agreement and pursuit of the apostles' doctrine, and that's where we get. That's how. I, don't you think, Jacob, that these people who are condemning the pattern theology approach are are in some artificial sense saying we could be united if it wasn't for you all? who are, are are insisting on things from the Bible. Absolutely. So they're yeah. asking for a unity and diversity. Yes, and we can't be because Jesus wants us to be unified as His he and his father are unified. In fact, he prayed uh, prior to his crucifixion uh, that we would be unified as he and uh, the father are. And when we think about their unity, Dad, it was not a unity and diversity. God didn't, uh, the father didn't think one thing and Jesus, the son, think something else. Instead, they were unified entirely. Uh, Jesus and the Father were one. And uh, that's the uh, unity that he uh, wants us to be unified with as well. Okay, very good. Arthur in Cullioca, Tennessee, writes in and says, There was a pattern for the tabernacle, Hebrews 8, verse 5, which we've been talking about. There was a pattern for the building of the temple. He mentions First Chronicles 28, verse 10. Take heed now, for the Lord hath chosen thee to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. And then in verse 19, all this, said David, the Lord made me understand in writing by his hand upon me, even all the works of this pattern. So uh, uh, I, I had forgotten that statement that when the temple replaced the tabernacle, it was also to be built by the pattern. Thank you, Arthur. All right. Uh, Kevin in the chat room asks an important question. Do those rejecting patterns have any scripture that can be cited for that view you give many good examples of patterns and God's use of the word pattern for that purpose in his word. So you have passages that teach that we need to follow a pattern. Do these who reject that idea have any passages for that position? I, I don't, I, honestly, I don't know. I, I, I've never, I, I see him criticizing it, but I don't see him criticizing it with, with scriptural argumentation. Of course, that's not even their approach to things. They... Because our approach is we find verses that support what we do. Okay. We find verses that support what we're teaching. And they say that's proof texting. So okay. they, they hate that whole process. So I guess why would they do what they're, they're, yeah, right. they're saying is a bad thing? That's yeah. a good good comment. So, but, uh, okay, so maybe we're just coming from the scriptures from, from a totally different. Totally. Uh, totally. Yeah, yeah not, uh, can't harmonize the two. We've got one more break, and then we go to the top of the hour. Plenty of time for your comments. What do you think about pattern theology? Do we need to be following a pattern? Let us know your thoughts. The number to call is 877-381-4567. That's toll-free, by the way. We'll pay the bill. Or send an email to questions at collegeview.com. We'll continue the discussion right after this. Are you listening? There's going to be a test on this stuff. Stay tuned. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. Do you remember when elders, deacons, preachers, Bible class teachers, and all church members had a strong commitment to the Word? Do you recall when you could always count on book, chapter, and verse preaching from the pulpit? 
Can you think back to a time when Christians were known as people of the book because they knew their Bible so well? The College View Church is still trying to be a church like the church you read about in the Bible, and they're still doing the same things that you remember from way back when. Are you longing for a return to the way things used to be? Come and visit. See for yourself at the College View Church of Christ. My name is Roger Toomes, and me and my wife love to listen to the virtual Bible study on Thursday nights. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. The virtual Bible study continues. And we're back on the program tonight, going to the top of the hour, as we talk about pattern theology and uh, the importance of following the pattern in God's Word. Pattern theology is used as a term of derision. Uh, to this idea that we need to be following the pattern God has given us in his word. But we believe that we must follow the commands that God has given us and follow the example that he put forth uh, for it. Uh, There's just too many passages that that teach us to do this. You want to know how, uh, I've got some other quotes here, Jacob, and I don't, Dan, I don't have these for you to put up, but uh, this is just indicative of how far this goes. Okay, when, when you start down that road, where does it lead to? Let me, let me read some of these quotes that I just think are just mind-boggling. Here's a quote from Gary Holloway. He's a teacher of the Bible at Lipscomb University in Nashville. And he says this, My own experience teaching in a university where 70% of the students are from a cappella churches of Christ confirms this cultural shift away from the importance of denominational labels to a deep concern for relational and spiritual union. It is not unusual in a typical week for our students to attend a Monday night instrumental praise worship at a local church of Christ, a Tuesday night ecumenical teaching session at First Baptist downtown, Wednesday night church at a fairly traditional church of Christ, Thursday night taze worship at a Presbyterian church, all before going home on the weekend to their parents' church of Christ, where many think we are the only Christians. Mm-hmm. You see that? Mm-hmm. So that this, uh, those who have gone this route to reject any semblance of pattern in the New Testament, now they've become completely ecumenical. He goes on to say, currently there is some controversy among churches of Christ regarding immersion Many of us, so he's including himself. Now, he's a Bible teacher at Lipscomb University in Nashville. He said, many of us cannot deny that there are many devout Christians who are unimmersed. Uh So now he's rejecting baptism. Well, well, this goes to what we were saying earlier. We would have thought maybe baptism was a core belief, but but now he it's not in his core anymore. It's not essential. So the the point we're making here is we have no place to stop once we once we start down that road in which we say there is no pattern, there are not things specifically authorized. We are not given you know a, an identified course to follow. Then there's no place to stop. You can you literally go everywhere. Well, that's uh, along the lines of what Kevin has said in the chat room. He says, "Hmm, that view sure sounds like it may lead to rejecting much more of God's word than just patterns." Well, Where would that stop? And that's exactly, an excellent exactly comment. Right, exactly right. Okay. Uh, here's another quote. This is from a fellow named Mike, William, Mike Williams. He's also a teacher of the Bible at Libscombe University. He preached a sermon as the senior minister at the 4th Avenue Church of Christ in Franklin, Tennessee, and he said this, We need to view baptism in the context of God's story. God seeks our hearts more than right ritual and his goal ultimately is transformation. He went on to talk about three different categories of people, those baptized in our denomination, those sprinkled but not immersed, and those who have never been baptized at all. He warns people, Jacob, to avoid the proof text approach and to avoid pattern theology. He said, we accept all believers in Christ no matter what their religious heritage and welcome those seeking to know Christ for the first time. We have chosen to emphasize what we have in common with other Christian groups rather than to debate our differences. And so as a result, we welcome and encourage all believers to join us on our journey to God. Some perhaps sprinkled as an adult or baptized as an infant. If they choose not to be immersed, we welcome them on the journey as part of this family. What about those who've never been baptized? 
For those who've never been baptized, we welcome the opportunity to study with you about the beauty and significance of baptism, yet we will also welcome you. We encourage all believers, all believers in Jesus Christ, to join us on our journey with God. And so his point there is baptism is not essential, and we'd be making a mistake to try to stress that. Unbelievable. You know, just anything goes. We can't demand any adherence to the Scriptures. Uh, we have an answer, though, to the question that was posed by Kevin. Aaron has uh, provided an answer. Kevin wanted to know if there are any passages where uh, those might uh, go to to reference that we don't have to follow a pattern. He references 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. Aaron says, I can't give a complete answer about passages, but one place they go sometimes is 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4, where they say that if one accepts these facts, he accepts the gospel, and other things don't matter. Now, notice 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning of verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which you also received, and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you believed, have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he arose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And so these people who reject pattern theology, according to the arguments Aaron has heard, all you would have to believe is that Christ died for our sins, he was buried, and he rose the third day. If you believe that, that's all we have to have in common. Nothing else matters if you just believe that Jesus died, was buried, and he rose again the third day. Well, that's pretty curious because in the chapter immediately before that, Paul laid out hard, specific rules about how uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit were to, were to be exercised in that Corinthian church. He told them to let your women keep silence in the church. Here's an example. Just just, just the paragraph before that statement that you just read, he told them, uh, if any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two or at most by three, and that by course, and let one interpret. If there be no interpreter, let him keep silence Uh, in the church and and let him speak to himself and God. Oh, it's going to be an utter disaster, uh, and then a horrible later, disaster in and, and then just a few verses later, uh, he says, uh, let your women keep silence in the churches. It's not permitted to them to speak, but they're commanded to be under obedience. But that stuff doesn't matter. Yes. It, it, they're commanded. They're commanded. But it doesn't matter. Don't listen to me, but you're commanded. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter what you practice. Just believe that Jesus was buried. He rose again the third day, and everything else is okay. There yeah. are all kinds of religious groups that believe that Jesus was uh, you uh, you could go through the phone book and find thousands of different religious groups who believe that yeah and, and is every one of them okay well if that's what you're teaching you'd have to say so i mean some of them were worshiping on saturday some of them were worshiping on sunday uh some of them believe you have to be immersed to be saved some sprinkle some say it doesn't matter but we're all i guess everything's okay there's there anything goes yeah uh the other passage that aaron suggested they might like to use is in first corinthians 9 where Paul says to the Jews, I became, this is 1 Corinthians 9, 20, to the Jews, I became as a Jew that I might gain the Jews to them that are under the law as under the law that I might gain them that are under the law to them that are without the law as without the law being not without law to God, but under law to Christ that I might gain them that are without to the weak. I became as weak that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Uh, they may use that. And Aaron's, Aaron's just suggesting that's a possible fallback for him. But, what, you know, there's an old statement, what, pro, what proves too much proves nothing at all. If you wanted to use that passage that way, then Paul would say, I became, then you could make Paul say, I became a drunkard to gain the drunks. I became an adulterer to gain the adulterers. I became a murderer to gain the murderers. That's not what he's saying there. He, he just, he, he, he is saying that he related to people in different circumstances in order to save some, he says, and to save them, of course, through the preaching of the gospel. All right. Well, um, go ahead. Go no, go ahead. You got a comment? I would just, no. I was going to go to something else. I was too. <laughs> well, Aaron in the in the chat room mentions that Rubel Shelley, whom we quoted at the start of the program, his journal on the internet is wineskins. Actually, new wineskins is the actual name of it. He says uh, he took it from Matthew nine seventeen where Jesus said you put wine into new bottles because if you put it into old bottles, it'll it'll rupture and everything will be ruined. And he thought that the patterns that we try to follow are like old brittle wineskins that are no good anymore. 
so that's that's where the name Wineskins for, for Rubel Shelley's magazine came from. And again, as we said, he's been sort of at the leading edge of this move away from the pattern of New Testament worship and work for the church. Okay. Uh, we've talked a lot about patternism tonight and uh, pattern theology, and we've said that it is uh, simply uh, required that we follow the patterns of God's Word, but we haven't given too many verses that show this. Perhaps we should conclude tonight with some verses that show us that we've got to follow the pattern of God's Word. Now, Edward Fudge says even following the commands of God's Word will lead you to a horrible disaster. And if you believe that, uh, we, we need to spend more time uh, with you than just what we've discussed tonight. But if you believe that you don't have to follow the direct commands that God has given you in his word, for instance, don't kill, if you believe that following the command to not kill will lead, in hor- lead to horrible disaster, uh, then we've got a lot of studying to do. That's very clear. But what about the examples of God's word? What about uh, where we read examples and we read where people in the New Testament were doing things certain ways? Do we need to follow those examples? Well, I obviously think so. Uh, Aaron mentioned uh, Paul's statement to Timothy, which I think is one of the very best ones to emphasize that apostolic example is to be imitated. Philippians 4, verse 9, those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace will be with you. Okay. So I think that's a verse that, that's a verse that teaches that apostolic example is authority philippians chapter 4 verse 9 a command to follow an example Uh, we have a comment uh from a unidentified uh person in the chat room tonight uh colossians 3 verse 17 all that you do whatsoever you do in word or deed do all in the name or by the authority of the lord jesus christ Giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Also, 1 Peter 4.11, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. Okay, so we've got to have authority for the things that we do. Uh, quickly, before the hour ends tonight, uh, since the moderation is turned off, we might take a roll call in the uh, chat room tonight. You don't have to give us your name, but uh, why not just uh, chat in with where you're listening from Tell us where tonight. you're at. We've Tell got us where Hot you're Springs, listening. Arkansas on the line tonight. We've got Columbia, Tennessee on the line and some others as well. Um, all right, go ahead. A uh, couple more verses that uh, that all play into this discussion. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 6, the American Standard Version says, Learn not to go beyond the things which are written. These people who are criticizing the idea of a pattern are going beyond what is written. Second John 1, 9, the New American Standard Version says, Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and Son. Again, you've got to abide in the teaching to have God. And then Romans 16, verse 17, Paul said, I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. Who, who is to be marked and avoided? The, the, the people who proof text? The people who require a pattern and follow Bible authority? No, I don't no. think so. No, he says it's those who teach opposing doctrines are the ones to be marked and avoided. All right. Very clear from the scriptures that we've got to follow the instructions that God has given us. We've got to follow the pattern. And so uh, those who say that this pattern theology will end, in quote, as Edward Fudge says, in a horrible disaster, in fact, quite the opposite is true. If we do not follow the pattern that God has given us in his word, that will end in a horrible disaster. It will be a horrible disaster for your soul. It's, a, it's sort of the question, who gets to identify what a disaster is? Yeah. God identifies a disaster when we depart from his word. We don't have God. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments, John 14, verse 15. So God and Jesus would identify the disaster being a, a severed spiritual relationship with deity if we don't follow the instructions of his word. Kevin in Hot Springs, Arkansas says, I don't think there's enough time for all the scriptures that show a need for a pattern. And uh, certainly uh, that is true. We uh, appreciate everyone for being out there tonight. We have uh, Greenville, Mississippi on the line, Brandon, Florida, Houston, Texas, Jackson, Tennessee. And uh, certainly uh, appreciate everyone for being out there on the program tonight. Yeah, we had a good discussion, I think an important one. And maybe you disagree. Again, if you're listening to us in the archives, uh, we'd like to hear from you anytime. Send us an email or uh, give us a call and let us know your comments. Yeah, thanks for listening tonight. Thank you for your time, Dan. Thank you, Jeff. We appreciate you being on. Thanks, Dan. Uh, Thanks, Jeffrey. Thanks, Dan and Jeffrey, for making it a technical success tonight. We appreciate their efforts and their time uh, on the program tonight. We appreciate you being a part of the program on the other end of the line tonight, and we hope you'll make plans to be back here next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it.
Thanks for listening to the virtual Bible study brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.